Take your Bibles, please, and open them to the book of Jeremiah. We're going to read through Jeremiah and Isaiah and do a verse-by-verse study in the next nine hours. Actually, we wouldn't be able to do it in nine hours. It'd take longer than that. We are uh, concluding this coming week our series on the summer of no excuses. Now, that doesn't mean that starting next week you can make excuses. No, we're trying to get rid of the excuses and really focusing on what was the fifth excuse that Moses gave? What was the first excuse? Who am I? He, he questioned that. What was the second excuse? Who is God? Wanting to know God's name. What was the third excuse? Can I trust God? Can I trust God? God told them the people would listen. He said, but what if they don't listen? What was the fourth excuse? Um, just not good enough. We had five video studies last week focusing on that and focusing on, on Moses' excuse saying, Lord, I, I've stuttered. I've stammered. I'm slow of speech. I'm not the right guy. I'm just not good enough. And now we come to the fifth excuse, which really isn't an excuse. What was the fifth thing Moses said to God? You should send somebody else. No, I won't do it. I will not obey. You should send somebody else. Now, that's... The fifth thing that Moses said, Lord, tell me the name of the guy you're going to use to be your deliverer. And at that, God finally got exasperated with him. Which God's, pay, aren't you glad God's more patient than your parents? Or, uh, yeah, I'm glad God's more patient than I was as a dad. Uh, God let Moses four times clarify and question and, and show concern. And then finally God finally got upset when Moses said, oh, Lord, I'm not going to do it. Send somebody else. Then got upset. God got upset. So tonight, we're looking at knowing what God said, but ignoring what God said. Moses knew exactly what God had said up to this point. He knew that God said, I chose you. He knew that God said, I will use you. He knew that God said, I'll be with your mouth. I'll tell you what you need to say. I will bring you back to this place. He knew exactly what God wanted. And he said, I'm not going to do it. Now in Jeremiah chapter 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. This is like a suburb of Jerusalem, a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. How many of you know where the, the little community of Arizona is? <laughs> Those of us who live off Arizona know. Uh, it's a little uh, community just south of here. Uh, if you go to Walmart and keep going south, there's a little community called Arizona. That's about the distance from here to Arizona is the distance uh, that uh, Jeremiah lived from the city of Jerusalem. And so the word of the Lord came to in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. And it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, 
until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, now this is God speaking to Abraham. I'm sorry. I get names all mixed up, but that's pretty bad. God speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. All right. What? No adults can answer this. This is just for kids. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. What does that mean? It means he knows you before you're born. So, does anybody else know you before you're born? No. Your parents don't know you before you're born. Now, we have some sonogram pictures of a few of our kids. One of them, like, had an eye open, staring, like, what are you doing looking at me in here? Uh, but, but we don't have, we didn't know them when they were born. In fact, we didn't know whether they'd be boy or girl till Benjamin. He was the first one we knew before he was born. Uh, the others, we didn't know. Find out. And I can remember when Jessica was born, and we all, it's a girl! And when Nathan was born, it's a boy! You know, it was exciting, because we didn't know until that point. But God already knew. God knew what you were going to be like. God knew how tall you would be, or how short you would be. Steve this morning. It was hilarious when I was putting the little stool down for Ella. Uh, it, we didn't want it in the way for Pat and I because we didn't want Pat and I to trip over the thing. And, and then we needed it for Ella to be able to stand on it. And Steve said, was that for me? You know, go, going through fourth grade, it, Steve's a little bit older than me. Going through fourth grade, he towered over me. He was the tallest kid in his class in fifth grade and stopped growing. Never grew again. I was the shortest kid in my class going into my freshman year of high school and shot up a foot during high school. And Steve and I have laughed about it. Before we were even born, God knew that Steve the tall guy would end up being Steve the not-so-tall guy. And Terry the short guy would end up being the Terry the not-so-short guy. God knew that before we were even born. And so, kids, I want you to think about it. God knows what you're going to be like as an adult. He already knows. He wants you to think about it. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to follow him. Sometimes your parents don't have a clue. For a very short time in my life, my parents were certain by this age I'd be in prison. Well, my dad was. Mom wasn't so sure. But God had different plans. And nobody thought I would end up preaching, but God knew before I was even born. And so God said to Jeremiah, before, now look what else it says, before I formed you. God made you. Now, I, you're going to get older, kids, and you're going to study biology, and scientists are going to tell you, well, you're just a chemical response to this and that. But the truth is, God formed you. Have you ever seen fabric like uh, maybe the back of your shirt will say, who made the shirt? And my mom, or my mother-in-law made clothes, and she had a tag she'd show in, sew in, didn't she? This is like handmade 
with love by my grandma. Okay. She had that little tag she'd sew in there. So imagine, Jerry, if you came with a tag on the back of your neck that said, who made you? It would say, Jerry Molly, made by God. How about that? That's the truth. You were made by God. He planned you. He designed you. And now sometimes you're going to be frustrated about your limitations. I was talking with a couple of teenagers this afternoon, and one of them said, she's really good at gymnastics. I am great at part of gymnastics, the falling on the mat part. Another one of them said, they're great at drawing. I, I told them a story about... And when Kathy and I were having this competition, she was drawing for the lady to guess, and I was drawing for the guy to guess, and we're doing win, lose, or draw. And we are drawing the exact same picture. And the guy's dressed guessing, spaceman, monster. And the girl got it right. It was teddy bear. Uh, the extent of my drawing is I can draw stick figures. I'm pretty good with a stick figure. Beyond that, I don't have that artistic ability. But you know what? God knew. Before I was born, he formed me without artistic skills. And neither Kathy nor I are crafty or that artistic, although she's artistic musically and I'm not. But then Megan loves arts and crafts and stuff. And she's really good at it and, and has skills there. And we just don't. God formed her. He used DNA from each of us, but he created something unique. Something a little weird. Something never before seen in the history of the world. Megan, son us. Yep, God made you. Look what else he says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Well, what does that mean, Lance? Before you were born, God sanctified. Now, he's talking to Jeremiah, but we can apply it to ourselves too. That means God set you apart. God has a plan for your life. God does not want you to live like other kids or other adults. He wants you to live like people who follow him. He has a plan for your life. I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nation. Now, our understanding of theology, there are not modern day prophets. There's not a man or a woman who stands up and speaks like the prophets did who were revealing the truth of God's word. We can still speak with a prophetic voice when we boldly proclaim the word of God. But Jeremiah was not only going to boldly proclaim the word of God, he was going to reveal the word of God. And we don't have that kind of prophet today. Why don't we? We have the scripture. If you want to know whether somebody's message is right, read the book. We don't have to have a prophet come on the scene and reveal. In fact, those churches that have modern day prophets tend to stray away from the word of God. Because their prophet has to reveal something new, and it's often contradictory to the word of God. Although we have had a guy in Casa Grande who thought he was a prophet of God, and he would come and reveal things to me. And every time he came and said he had a prophetic voice from God, it was always something from the scripture. And I would read from the scripture that we already know that because it's already in here. And he would get really frustrated. It was I have no idea why I brought that up, but it was significant to me. Okay, let's move on. So, now in verse 6, Then said I, Jeremiah talking to the Lord, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Since when 
Has it hindered kids from speaking just because they're young? Well, Jeremiah is afraid to get up and speak in front of people. He's afraid to do it. And so God says to him in verse 7, The Lord said to me, Jeremiah is writing this down and recording for us what God said to him. Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I shall send you, and what are what, what Sorry, whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Isn't that kind of funny, Dawson? Don't be afraid of their faces. Does that mean they're going to be ugly and we shouldn't? No. What does a person look like when they get mad? Make, make a mad face at me. Some of you tried really hard, but you can't. You started smirking while you were trying to make a mad face. But make, God said... People are going to be angry when you share the word. They're going to be angry. They're going to be bitter. They're going to be outraged. We've seen that in our culture where when you share the truth of what God says about marriage, when you share the truth of what God says about the family, when you share the truth of what God says about sin, there's going to be people who get angry and they get mad at what we say. And he said to Jeremiah, don't be afraid of that. They may go, don't be afraid of that. Trust God. Serve him. So God called Jeremiah to be a prophet, to speak in his name. Now, God told Jeremiah he would be with his mouth and show him what to say. He told Moses the same thing. Moses didn't show obedience to the Lord initially, and he made an excuse. I'm not good enough. You should send someone else. Jeremiah didn't make those excuses. But they had similar experiences and how people responded to their message. All right? This is from Jeremiah saying what God has revealed and how people responded to what God revealed. So most of the time, this is God speaking through Jeremiah. And just listen to these. You don't have to turn to all of them. Jeremiah 6.19, they have not listened to my words. Jeremiah 11.8, they did not obey or incline their ear. I commanded them to do, but they did not. Jeremiah 13.10, they refused to listen to my words. I have a sister who, when she was in school, she got an education degree. She had a minor in sign language, and so she said they learned that sign language people, people who are deaf and have to speak with sign language, when they don't want to listen, they just close their eyes. And then you can't talk to them when their eyes are closed. And if they really want you to know they're upset with what you're saying, they'll just do this. And then you know they are not listening. But you know, those of us who can hear, we can look right at somebody. We can have our eyes open and still not hear what they're saying. We can even hear it and then still ignore it. And that's exactly what God was saying through Jeremiah. And by the way, kids, he might say the same thing to you sometimes. You hear what I'm saying, but you're not doing it. So, um, 
13.10, they refused to listen to my words. 17.23, they did not listen or incline their ears. 22.21, this has been your practice from your youth. Are you listening, kids? This is a practice from your youth that you have not obeyed my voice. God says the pattern you establish as a kid is a pattern that can last for your whole life. If you learn to obey and follow God when you're young, you can still do it when you're old. And it's easier, if you, the younger you are, the easier it is to learn. 25.4, you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. Uh, those of us who are a little bit hard of hearing, when somebody says something we don't understand, we often turn toward them like this. That's inclining our ear so we can really listen. And he said, you have not done that. 29.19, they have not listened to my words and asked for my law. They have rejected it also. 32.33, they have turned their back to me and not their face. Not only are they not listening, they just turn their back on God. And though I taught them teaching again and again, they would not listen and receive instruction. One of the most frustrating experiences of being a parent being an Awana worker, being a Sunday school teacher, being someone in involved in ministry, one of the most frustrating experiences of parenting or ministering is when you are sharing with people something they need to hear and they're not listening. Sometimes you can see it. You see their eyes disengage and they're staring off into the middle distance. They're just not engaged in what's going on right here right now, not paying attention. And God said, I know when you're not paying attention. And it's going to come back to hurt you later. 35, 14, I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not listened to me. 35, 16, this people has not listened to me. And lest you think Jeremiah is the only prophet who experienced this, Isaiah says in 30, Verse 9, this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. Isaiah 42, 20, you have seen many things, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open, but none hears. So God told Jeremiah, from the beginning, I've called you to a ministry, and you're going to serve me, and you're going to speak for me. But there's, don't be afraid of their faces. People are going to get upset and they're going to reject. And then over and over and over, we see people rejecting. And Jeremiah could have said, Lord, you know, if that's the way it's going to be, I don't want to do it. If it's going to be that hard, can't you call me into something a little easier? But as God told Moses, and as God told Jeremiah, and as God tells you, he's God. He makes the rules. You Obey and trust him. Turn to Isaiah. Um, Isaiah, if, if your Bible's like mine, we want to go to Isaiah 66, which is one page before Jeremiah chapter 1, where we just were. Isaiah 66. Listen. Thus says the Lord. So who's doing the talking here? The Lord God. Uh, when it's in all caps like that, it means uh, 
Jehovah, Yahweh, it's probably the Lord Jesus Christ himself speaking in the Old Testament before he was born uh, on earth. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. What's a throne? Yeah. It's a place where the person in authority sits. A throne. God said, heaven is my throne. Now, what does he mean by heaven? Does he mean the atmospheric heaven where the birds fly, the planes fly? Does he mean the stars where, you know, the, the heaven of space where the stars and the planet and solar systems are out there? Or does he mean the heaven of heavens? You know what he means? All of it. He doesn't define it. He doesn't limit it. All of the heavens are his throne. The earth is his footstool, his little ottoman that he'll prop his feet on. That, that's the earth. To God, this planet that's 24,000 miles around, this planet is puny compared to God. And God said, I am the awesome one who is bigger than the universe. Where is the house that you will build for me? We can't build a house that could contain God. They built a house that God could live in, uh, encourage them temporarily. We call this a house of God because the people of God meet together in this place and dedicate ourselves to God. But God is so much beyond this. He is as far away as the most distant galaxy and right here all at the same time. God said, there's no place that can hold me. At the end of verse 1, where is the place of my rest? The image of sitting in a chair with his feet propped up. Uh, if we were writing it today, we might call it the recliner chair, you know. And, and earth is that part that pops up when you flip the lever in your recliner chair, unless you have those push-button fancy things. Yeah. So then look at verse 2. All those things my hand has made. All the stars, every part of planet earth, every person on planet earth, God says, my hands have made all of that. So how can you uh, say we're going to limit God to this specific place? And then look what God says. My hand has made all those things and all those things exist. They existed because he wanted them to. Elsewhere in scripture it says everything that was made was made for the glory of God. Now the Lord says, but on this one will I work. Will I look? Now, what does that mean to look? Have you ever, kids, when, when your parents look at you and they're happy with you, how can you tell that? <laughs> Jerry's giving me a big smile. They're smiling at you. You can see it maybe in their smile. You can see it in their eyes. There's a pleasantness there. When your parents are mad at you, it looks a little different, doesn't it? Uh, the eyes might look like there's lightning zinging back and forth between them. Uh, there's a, a fierceness if they're really upset about something that you did. 
But God says, I'm going to look on this person. Now, to look on in the sense described here, it means not just to look your eyes on, but to look with favor on a person. I'm going to show kindness to this person. I'm going to show respect to this person. I'm going to look on this person. And here's what he says. Here's three criteria that he's going to look at. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Now let's go back to, stay here, but in your mind go back to Exodus chapters 3 and 4. When Moses is making all of these excuses. And Moses says, hey, listen, uh, God, I'm not good enough. You need to send somebody else. And God said, listen, I show respect to the one who is poor. One who is humble, who is afflicted or wretched. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Romans 7, 24 and 5, the apostle Paul wrote, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our deliverance comes from him. And so Moses, instead of saying, Lord, I'm just not good enough. I'm not the right guy. Instead of saying that, Moses should have realized God respects people who think they're not the center of the universe. God respects people who are not proud and arrogant saying, God has to use me. God has respect and looks on the one who is poor or humble or afflicted or wretched. So the apostle Paul could say, oh, wretched man that I am, but Jesus Christ delivers me. And then he could go on and serve Christ powerfully for years instead of just pouting that he didn't get what he wanted. Our brokenness is a sign of spiritual health. It's the one who says, They don't need help. They're the ones who really need help. The one who says, I don't need God to forgive my sins. Oh, yes, you do. You desperately need God's grace. Then God says, who is of a contrite heart or a contrite spirit. This is... uh, One who has been broken, who has been smitten or crippled. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The ones whose heart has been broken, who have a contrite spirit. One who uh, humbles themselves before God. So Jeremiah said, they're not listening. They're not humbling. And God has repeated and repeated and repeated. And the end of the book of Jeremiah, uh, they're taken captive. Jeremiah himself was hauled off to Egypt and ended up dying in Egypt instead of in Jerusalem because uh, they fled from the land of God because the torture that was coming in from Nebuchadnezzar. What was the third thing said here? Who trembles at my word. So you notice those three things. Poor, the one who's humbled, afflicted, or wretched. Uh, a contrite spirit, one who's been broken, smitten, even crippled, who trembles at my word. This is the one who God looks on with favor and respect. 
God doesn't look at you and say, oh, you know, you are so good looking, I want you on my side. God doesn't look at you and say, you have so many skills and abilities. You are like the Renaissance man or woman. You can do anything and everything. I need you. God looks at people and the ones God respects are the ones who feel inadequate. The ones who feel like they don't quite have what it takes. And God said, there's a person I can use. Now, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The one who trembles at my word. This is a great respect for what God has to say. They listen. And instead of not listening and not inclining their ear, instead of not hearing and turning their back, this person listens and learns and yields. Then, you know, in our um, Awana clubs, uh, one of the things we try and do is have kids learn what the verses mean. That's the most important thing. So then they can obey God. If they know where it's found and what it means, they can use it for the rest of their life. It, but we also encourage them to memorize it word for word in order to get the Awana award. But when I was uh, serving on staff of a church in Texas for a short time, uh, for a year or so, uh, in that time, uh, we had a young man who was recognized and received the Awana Citation Award. Now, that means that's the highest honor you can get in Awana. The Citation Award means you have done all the other things. You've done 10 years worth of books uh, uh, from TNT through Trek through Journey, and some of them, uh, like Clorinda and Tim, who got their citation awards, they did it from Cubbies and Sparks, too, all the way through. And uh, some of them just start when they're older. Uh, four of our kids got their citation awards. Nathan started in PALS. He did the PALS and Pioneers books and then went from there. And so he he caught up, but he didn't go back and do the Sparks books like Courtney was doing when, when we moved here and she was in Sparks that first year. I got distracted. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Those who have great respect for what God says. I remember the illustration. This kid earned his citation award. The next week, the very week he got his citation award on Sunday, stood up in front of the church and quoted off a whole bunch of verses like we had Clorinda do when she got her citation award here. And then that very week was arrested for selling marijuana. Got the highest award Awana could have. And then he got, because of that, he got kicked out of his Christian school. Didn't even get to graduate from his Christian school. It, you can memorize verses, but if it doesn't get into your heart, kids, if it doesn't make it into your heart, into your spirit, you are not learning God's word. Because God's word is to turn your heart toward God. 
The goal of our ministry is not kids who could stand up and quote lots of verses. The goal is kids who love Jesus and who want to love and serve the Lord God. That's the heart of what we do. And so uh, Isaiah said he, he focuses on the heart, the one who's poor of a contrite spirit, a contrite heart, who trembles at his word. And so Jeremiah fit this criteria. Jeremiah 1.6, he said, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. This would be that person who's poor. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew says. The one who's, who's poor that God's looking on, he recognizes his spiritual poverty. Jeremiah 1.8, do not be afraid of their faces. This is that contrite spirit that Isaiah talks about. The one who's been broken and attacked by others and has that contrite spirit. In the Gospels, one who, uh, it says, blessed are they who mourn. And then Jeremiah says, uh, God said to Jeremiah, you shall go to all whom I shall send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. As This is the one, as Isaiah said, who trembles at your word, who learns it and trembles and shows great and awesome respect for who God is and what God wants to do. And in the Gospels, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So, Moses said, I'm not the right guy, God. Send somebody else. God's answer was, he was angry with Moses, commanded Moses to go, and God said, I'm sending Aaron to be a spokesperson to help you. How many of you have read through the life of Moses? How much help was Aaron? (laughs) Sometimes a help, often a hindrance. Aaron was the first person in the nation of Israel to lead them astray to worship false gods. See, a lot of people have suggested Moses would have been better off to forget about Aaron and just do the job himself. So what about you? Would you consider yourself poor of spirit, of a contrite spirit, one who's trembling at God's word? Would you, unlike the people Jeremiah spoke, would you, like the prophet Jeremiah, listen to the word of God and obey? Do you realize that God made you? He gave you your voice. He gave you your appearance. If you're a naturalist like me, he gave you your hair color. He gave you your eye color. He gave you your abilities and your limitations. And he said, I have commissioned a work that you can do for me. But you must depend on me. Are you trusting God not only for your soul, but also for yourself? Are you trusting God for who you are? Are you trusting God for how awesome he is that he can use someone just like you? Are you trusting God for your future? Are you trusting him for your circumstances and limitations? Moses said, 
I will not obey. You should send someone else. Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. Jeremiah said, I must speak the word of God. It's a fire in my bones. I must let it out. I must do the work that God has called me to do. What about you? Thankfully, Moses stopped making excuses and got up and served God. We don't want to belittle Moses, but haven't you seen yourself in those excuses? Some of the very excuses he uses are excuses people use today. All this week, we'll have videos focusing on that. Use somebody else, Lord. You should send somebody else. And we'll think about how God planned from before you were even born for you to be his person in your circumstance, at your time of life, where you live and how you live to be a voice for God. That's his plan, that you love him, that you serve him with all your heart. There's a chorus, not a chorus, a song in our hymnal, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. And uh, Jim and Kathy are going to come up here.